At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. Um, I have a great guest for you on this All Ball. Christopher Chabot is, is going to join me. He's the COO of High Times. You're like, wait, what, Gottlieb? Like, this is not all that smoke. No, 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 it's not. Okay, but he has an amazing, amazing story. Hey, I'm, I'll just tease that. He played professionally in Israel, among other countries, mostly in Israel. But how he got there from growing up as kind of a late bloomer in South Florida, fascinating tale. And of course, now he's the COO of like, you don't have to be a pothead or a weed guy or even in the weed industry, which is a, a huge growing, uh, huge growing industry to know high times. So you're like, oh, it's like, it's like the I don't know, New York Times of weed. Is that, is that okay? Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. We, we can do that. Uh, before we get to that, let me give you this on Chet Holmgren. So Chet breaks his foot, and you'll get people saying, oh, man, should be playing in these pro-ams. Now, I don't love the pro-ams in, with, with some of the fact that they just don't play any defense, or you got a Yahoo who's you know played overseas for years, and maybe he's lost a couple steps. And I, But none of the NBA guys are getting fouled hard. Um, 
I think it is interesting that LeBron broke Chet literally looked like landing on his foot. That could have happened in any one-on-one workout. Not on a one-on-none workout, but a one-on-one workout. It's just weird. Like, there's two sides to it. For Chet, the bad news is you hurt your feet, feet, hips, back, sometimes worse than knees. And we are all concerned about his body breaking down, and he hadn't even played an NBA game, and his body's broken down. On the other hand, it gives him a year to add size, strength, and to build his body. Just like a year where he doesn't even have to worry about putting the ball in the hoop. And it worked for Blake Griffin. It's worked for, you know, other rookies, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, among others, who were uh, either hurt or injured during their first year. Plus, it puts them in the victor. Hey, what if they got, they got victor in Chet? Like, how do you even see the basket with that length? So there's some good and there's some bad to it. I, I We've just gotten away from playing five on five. And now guys play five on five going these pro-ams. And now because Chet gets hurt, People want to shut down the pro-ams. I just, I think basketball players should play basketball. That's my my personal view of it. What do you think? Uh, tweet me at Gottlieb Show or hit me up on the Doug Gottlieb Show fan page on Facebook or also uh, Doug uh, Gottlieb Show on Instagram as well. Let's let's get to this. Uh, Christopher Chabot is an amazing story. Amazing story. Uh, I want you to think about this. Here's a guy who's the COO of High Times. He, he played, I think, eight years in Israel, but he didn't actually play college basketball. Yeah, listen, here it is. So you grew up where? South Florida. Grew up in uh, right between uh, Broward and Dade County. So that's like known as kind of football country, right? Also retirement, like old Jewish retirement area. Got a few of those. What, what was okay? So, what was your childhood like? Uh, TV show. Remember the Wonder Years? That was it. Yeah. You know, ballpark down the end of the street. You know, uh, you know, neighborhood kids. Uh, I, I was very fortunate. I went to a school in Fort Lauderdale called Nova. Uh, I was put on a waiting list. At, I think it was eleven thousand people on a waiting list as a three year old, and got put into the school. It was a public school, but you could live anywhere in the county and go there. And I ended up spending my entire. Uh, you know, elementary, middle, and high school uh, on that campus. So as a young kid, were you uh, all basketball and just basketball and baseball, or did you play football as well? No football. Mom said too skinny, couldn't, uh, yeah. wasn't allowed to play, only two-hand touch. And then the moment, you know, when you're playing two-hand touch when you're a kid and and someone pushes someone down and says, it's time to go to tackle, you know, all my friends would make fun of me and say, it's time for you to go home. So uh, no, all baseball. I was, uh, started with t-ball at the age of six. and and Basketball was always just recreational and for fun. Yeah, and it's it's really hard, you know. Um, you grow up in California, just like you grew up in Florida. Even before what we have now in terms of year-round sports, baseball was a kind of a year-round sport in Texas, Florida, California, and it started like the reason my baseball career ended. One, I wasn't that good at it, but two, I remember my freshman year in high school, we went to the state playoffs. And baseball been going for like a month and a half. So by the time I went out for baseball, everybody had their position. Everybody was in. And even though I had gone out like once a week to practice, you know, it just wasn't enough. Was that the reason that you didn't do basketball or was just the passion? No, I just wasn't good enough. I tried out my, I remember sixth, seventh and eighth grade. I got cut, didn't make the middle school team. Uh, You know, we had the the court across the street, you know, played a lot of Sandlot basketball, but just uh, never made it. 
uh, baseball in high school, uh, freshman, sophomore, played sophomore year, fall ball, didn't make the team. Uh, junior year, uh, played basketball and baseball, made the basketball team, didn't play at all. Uh, and my, I think my junior year as a baseball player, I pitched two innings of the last game of the year, and that was it. Come my senior year, I become a starter on the basketball team. So only white kid, all black team in, in Fort Lauderdale. And, made, and my claim to fame was starting over Adrian Cooper, who was 6'7". I was about 6'5". So, uh, and then baseball, something happened where uh, I had this amazing senior year, you know, uh, made all state as a pitcher. I was one of the top pitchers in the entire state, uh, took our team to the regionals and, you know, missed out by states uh, in, in, by one one game, you know. So uh was very fortunate. My basketball, my baseball coach, who's a legend, his name's Pat McQuaid, and he's coached 40 years at, at Nova High School in Fort Lauderdale. And, and, you know, the field's named after him and everything. And he he begged me to quit basketball uh, because it was getting in the way of baseball. So how, how did how did you come to be recruited by Florida? Uh, after having a great senior year, uh, you know, obviously I, I had accepted to go to college as in September of my senior year. I was 17 years old when I graduated. And I had this great senior year and all of a sudden I had a few offers and I just said, well, if I'm good enough to play, I'll go play at Florida. And I walked on the team, made the fall team and, and just went to Florida. So I was a walk-on. Wow. It's like, it's that, that's great. So 17. So part of it was you were kind of a later. Yeah. Mature. Obviously, exactly. you're, you know, I was the outliers 19. didn't apply to me. <laughs> uh -huh. The outliers didn't apply to me. <laughs> no, yeah. no. And now everybody's doing it. So now it's, <laughs> it's, it's not, um, it's not necessarily as uh, beneficial as it used to. It's it it is beneficial, but it's not as beneficial as it as it used to be. So you show up in Gainesville, okay, and you're six five. You played hoop. You've been all state in baseball. What what's what is fall baseball like in terms of a walk on trying to make the team at, at Florida? Like how many guys? How yeah. difficult is it? It made the team. It was tough, you know, but I, I had because I had such notoriety from what I did in the senior year, like I was known. So the fact that I was a walk on was kind of just uh, I was part of the team. Uh, I guess the tough thing was I, I you know, it's normal. You know, you, you baseball in the fall is seven hours a day, you know, between the field and working out and doing everything. Uh, I pledged a fraternity and uh, fraternity life got the best of me, I think, and, and enjoyed it. And I, I took a after the first year, I just looked at it and I said, you know, I want my finance degree. I want to go to Wall Street. My thought was I was going to go investment banking. So uh, I just stopped playing, you know, and from there, I started playing a little, little bit more intramural basketball. <laughs> and for the next uh, three years, I played intramural basketball. And then my senior year, they had, a, you know, they have open trial to the basketball team. And I became pretty good basketball player th throughout that time. So I tried to walk on the basketball team. <laughs> Didn't work. Uh, Who's on the team at this time? What year is this? Oh, uh, I graduated in 91. So I was, I was there from 87 to 91. Uh, my baseball coach was Joe Arnold. Uh, Lon Kruger was the basketball coach. Uh, was Livingston, Livingston Chapman, uh, Ronnie Montgomery and Vernon Maxwell were a little bit older than me. So they were there, Ronnie Mont and VMAX. Uh, Ronnie Mont was my fraternity brother, matter of fact. Uh, and, wasn't uh, wasn't VMAX and Shinsus on the Shinsus same team? Shinsus was there uh, when I was a freshman. Shinsus was already on the team. Livingston Chapman, uh, you know, Clifford led, um, there was, a, you know, a, a group of guys, they, they were okay, but they didn't have their heyday yet until the nineties, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating though. Like, because your personal, um, like your memories of Florida basketball, like people forget Florida basketball before 
Lon took him to the Final Four in 94. And then obviously before Billy took him to a Final Four in 2000 and the, the back-to-back national championships, like there was not history there. It was not a basketball program not in any all. way. It was a football program, right? So Emmett was a freshman when I was a freshman. So Emmett brought a lot of, you know, notoriety well before Tebow. But, you know, uh, yeah, it was all football. Great. So, so you don't make the basketball team. Nope. Get my finance degree. I graduate. And I say to myself, and you go to like this career expo, right? You put your red tie on, you put your resume and you walk around and you talk to a bunch of insurance companies. And I realized this was not for me. So I remember going to go play golf that day and said, okay, what's going to happen? So I, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal, my senior year I was graduating, and it was a, a work program. Uh, you could get- Hold on, hold on. I just want to point this out, okay? That um, I'll have, this pod has, uh, we'll get hopefully hundreds of thousands of listens. I don't think, could be wrong, that I ever played with or was around anybody in my circle. Pat Garrity at Notre Dame might have been the only one who, while in college, would have said, not only read an article from the Wall Street Journal, but have it resonate. And by the way, you're in Gainesville, Florida. Like, I don't even know how you'd get, like, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, I don't even know how you'd get a Wall Street Journal <laughs> in, in, the late 90, in the late 90s. Yeah. So. Okay, so you read an article in the Wall Street Journal. And it was just an ad. It was an ad where you could get a, a, a work permit overseas. So it was called BUNAC, British University's North American Club. And I could get a six-month work permit and go to London. And while my senior year, as I was pursuing my finance degree, I was lucky enough to sit on the pension review committee for the city of Gainesville. So I was the only student nominee. I, once a month, I'd go have a, a nice lunch at a fancy you know, office and a bunch of hedge funds and would come pitch the pension committee. We ran a $50 million pension uh, fund for the firefighter and police uh, of city of Gainesville. And I was a student you know, nominee because it's a big college town. And I collected a bunch of business cards. And a couple of them were some people from London that ran. One was Clyde Benson, one was Merrill Lynch. So I said, aha, I'm going to email these guys and I'm going to go ahead and get this work permit. And I took a one-way ticket to London, no job, no place to live, and just went. Hold on, you had email? You had email back then? Yeah, it was just the beginning of it. Just the Hotmail? Yeah, it was like Hotmail or, or AOL. Or something at AOL, yeah. 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 So so you go to London? First? I go to London. Uh, I call Merrill Lynch. They said, sorry, that guy doesn't work here anymore. I said, well, who's the new guy? And I, I walked my way into an interview. I interviewed for a few pub jobs. I wasn't sure if I was going to work at a pub or if I was going to do something, but I, I tried. Uh, and I got an interview and I got a, a, an internship with Merrill Lynch, stock loan department, six month, perfect resume builder. I wanted to get my MBA right away. And Florida said, sorry, we'd like you to have work experience to apply to the program. So nobody would let me into an MBA program immediately. Uh, so I said, OK. And I just took the path less traveled. I went over there and fortunate enough, uh, you know, found a roommate and, and just uh, worked it worked uh, in the city one day. <laughs> now you probably want to know what one day I go to uh, Covent Garden Jubilee Hall and you could pay five pounds at the time to go in and lift weights and play basketball. So I go there to play basketball. I'm a poor intern. I have no money, you know, and I'm living in London, great city, 21 years old. And this gentleman sees me playing basketball and we play a pickup game and he says, hey, you're American. His name's Nassau Stevenson. He was running a Greek travel company at the time called the Grecian and he had a basketball team in the local city league just for fun called the Grecian Warriors. And he says to me, he goes, would you like to play with us? I said, sure. That's how it started. <laughs> so you're playing like a men's league. Men's in league. You know, it's hilarious. There's a Palestinian. There's two Israelis. There's some West Indies. There's an Australian. It's like a whole mixed match of people. 
Right. And uh, next night, so, you know, the week later, someone says, hey, you know, they played Monday nights behind, you know, where you work in Merrill Lynch. So I found a run. And there's a there's a basketball community in London, rather small at the time, obviously. And I just start playing with the city team and having fun. Uh, next thing I know, someone says to me, you know, there's a second division team in the Carlsbad League uh, up in Broxbourne, about an hour north of uh, Liverpool Street Station in London. Would you like to go try out? So I went and tried out. And I, and I made the team and I got paid a hundred pounds a game, which to me was like, you know, awesome. It was more money than I had ever seen. Right. So, and, and so, you, so, you know, are you going to practice and doing your internship? Yeah, I mean, no I'm playing with the city, with the fun team, you know, the, the Grecian Warriors, we start winning. Uh, and uh, I go play at Boxport. I'm playing with a point guard from uh, Australia named Bruce Hope. Uh, a lot of local West Indies, uh, you know, uh, transplants from the Caribbean that live in that grew up in London and just having fun, you know, and some really talented guys and play once a week. I mean, I mean, I, the stories I could tell you from the beginnings, I remember going to play an away game in Cardiff, Wales. We forgot our uniforms, so we had to borrow the team's uniform, their away uniforms to play against them and beat them. Uh, the guy, the, our team bus was the cleaning van that the guy used from his work, you know, from the uh, it was just hilarious. But what a great experience. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. How'd you make it to Israel? Uh, so fast forward, I, uh, you know, I really had my internships over. I'm ready to go back. Uh, and so I, it's only, it's only a six month time span. It yeah, well, extend- I spent a year. So I stayed longer because okay. I, I started sleeping on the floor of the guys because we started winning. He didn't want to let me go. So he's like, Hey, come crash at my place. And, you know, he literally, he brought myself, uh, interesting three, he brought three guys down to Greece. He wanted me to first play in Greece before I went to Israel. I went to Greece with Sam Longley, which was Luke Longley's little brother, about 6'10", he was on our team, and a gentleman named Daryl Rishaw, which was a consummate professional. He was probably, you know, nine-year pro in England and Europe and a uh, 6'8 point guard well before his time, but super talented. And the three of us went down to Greece, and the initial thing was Nassos, my friend, who was half Greek, said, you know, your father's name is Nicholas. We can call you uh, Christo, and he's Nico, and we can make you Greek, and we can send you to Greece. So let's go to Greece for a few months. So I was, again, 22, Greece, free, free hotel, place to stay, try out with some basketball teams, great. From there, didn't cut it, didn't, nothing happened, but had a good time. Uh, flew to Luxembourg, tried out for teams in Luxembourg. Uh, nothing happened there. Went back to, uh, to London. I'm like, okay, time to go home, had fun, year, year's time. And uh, my friend, uh, Sam Stiller, says, hey, uh, there's this guy, Steve, who's going to play in Israel. You know, you're better than him. You should, you should think about it. Here's the agent's number. So I go back to Florida. I call the agent. The agent says, uh, great, but, you know, we'd love to try you out. You know, back then, you, if you had any Jewish heritage, you were able to uh, go to play in Israel. And there's a way for you to get a passport and, and to not count as a, one of the four, two foreign players. So one way, one way ticket, flew to Israel. So you fly to Tel Aviv. You get picked up. You get picked up by the agent, Yossi Galpas. Yep. What happens? Classic story. So I drives me up to Haifa. I go to a hotel. Uh, he knocks and I said, Hey, we're leaving at five. Now, had you been to, had you been to Israel before? Never been to Israel. Don't know what I'm doing. Uh, right. So you're, you're 20, you're 22. You're like out of it. All of a sudden you're driving. And I know that drive, right. You're, you're right. So you're driving, you're driving you see the sea on one side. Right. Yeah. You know, and it. this is early mid nineties. So it's different than it is now. The year it's, after it's, the war, by the way, 91 war. So it's right after, you know, the war, my parents weren't too excited about dropping me off at the airport, obviously. So <laughs> Uh, so then, but then you, you roll up in Haifa. Was it daytime or nighttime? Do you remember when you first arrived? Yeah. Morning arrive in the afternoon. We're leaving four or five hours later to go to practice. So I go and I get in the car and there's a, a older gentleman, big six, eight, a uh, black guy that just was this huge. I never seen you know someone so strong and so big. I'm like, Oh God, it didn't say much to me. So I get driven up to Nazareth, which is an Arab city in, uh, yep. in Israel. And 
I get on the court and the guy that was in the car with me, I'm going up against. I'm playing five on five. And this guy in this deep voice goes, all right, young fella, I know you're trying to get a job. So I'm going to take it easy on you. And I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, I'm, Penny Gershwin was coaching at Gilila Leone at the year. It was 92. And Penny sent David Blatt, who's his assistant, down to see me. So I think it was either David or Penny, I recall. And then every time a new guy comes into, into the country, you're always going to get a look at from Maccabi Tel Aviv or from, you know, uh, from Gilil at the time had a very good team. Uh, well, I go back, have dinner with that gentleman. I didn't have any shekels. You know, he bought me dinner. Uh, his name was Earl. And all of a sudden, I he, he knocks on my door the next day. We go down to the Shook in, in Haifa, you know, during the day. And everyone starts screaming his name, Earl Williams, Earl Williams, Earl Williams. So Earl Williams is one of the biggest legends of European basketball you ever find. He he was five years in the NBA, played for Big House Games, uh, where Earl Monroe went to. Uh drafted, I think, by Phoenix and, and played five years. And, and Red Arbach kicked him out of the league. He was kind of a militant back in the late 70s. And he became one of the most dominant centers of all time. To, to this day, he's the most popular player that's ever played in Israel. He is the legend of all legends. Because uh, he brought him there for, you know, after Alsi and Tal Brody won their first championships in, in Israel, Earl won every championship you can think of and really fought on behalf of the Israeli people. So this guy who's 42 years old takes this 22-year-old kid on, under his wing and kind of helped, helped me have a career. Yeah. So your first job was with who? A Paul Haifa. After 39 days in the country, tried out for 11 teams. The best story is I went down to play two-on-two from Maccabi Tel Aviv. So one of the biggest teams in Europe. Every time you go there, Jerome Jumpsy, Moti Danielle, who are the stars of the team. And I'm playing there with another American uh, that's trying out named Dyrell Nix averaged 26 a game in the SEC for Tennessee and led the league. So we started like, where'd you play? And he's like, where'd you so he play? At? Me, he goes, he goes, you're at Florida. I go, yeah. He goes, I don't remember you. I go, well, I was like in row 22 out there watching you play. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. And that happened so many times. Another time I was there in Israel and I go to a house party and I see Bobby Russell and Bobby Russell played for university of South Florida, played with me in high school and was a preseason All-American, got hurt his first game of the year and didn't play his senior year. So I ended up going to play at South Florida with Steve Williams out of Hallandale, uh, Gary Alexander. And there was an agent out of South Florida that was able to bring a lot of players from USF over to Israel. So I see him at the house party. He looks at me, he goes, what are you doing here? I go, yeah, I play here. He goes, you? <laughs> I go, yeah, I play for that year. Well, I play with, a guy, I play with uh, Jesse Salters. He played yeah, at South yeah. Florida. I play with Jesse. So, so Jesse was like, at that time, the de- great dude like but he was a, he was yep. yeah so he was like the old head when yep. i was at maccabi renana and what was really cool like the reason i think that people love playing in israel is not like everybody says you know the weather or parties or the women or whatever like i actually don't i think weather's pretty nice it's great but he had a thanksgiving party and because you have all the first division teams are really there Right. Anybody from Jerusalem's coming down, getting out of Jerusalem, right? Nothing going on there. And then you have all the second division teams. There were 60 American, 60 American ball players at his like three bedroom apartment. And it just felt like home. Right. And we're like, oh, dude, I remember you. Like, yeah, I hosted one of those one year uh, in my I used to cook Thanksgiving dinner for the for the guys. And yeah, you know, it, it is that it, Israel has such a unique, it's such a unique place that nobody knows until you go there what it's like. But the camaraderie, you know, every every after every game on Sunday night, whether you win or lose, you're down to catch 22 on the on on the beach in Tel Aviv, you know, meeting all the ballplayers. We had our own DJs that would DJ at clubs. I mean, yeah, you had this camaraderie amongst everybody. 
Uh, it was great. Yeah. So, okay. Haifa first. Haifa How first. After 39 days, what happened was I tried it with everybody. Nothing happened. I'm trapped. You know, I'm getting that agent's done with me by now. He's throwing me everywhere. I'm crashed on some guy named Cliff Yoknum's uh, or Cliff Bombom's apartment in Yoknum. And meanwhile, Earl comes and picks me up. Earl's finally situated. And what happened with Earl? Earl was at the end of his career. And so Nazareth paid him a bunch of money to play in the second division. And he was living in Haifa, but didn't want to live in Nazareth. So he brought me to his, his apartment and gave me a bedroom and a three bedroom house and just said, Hey, we'll call my agent tomorrow. And the first team I tried out with was a Paul Haifa. Uh, they didn't take me. They took a veteran named Dan Smith. And lo and behold, one day I was living right above the gym. Remember, I was ready to go back home to America. I was done. And I went down to practice with them and go, hey, we remember you from 39 days ago. You know, would you like to come practice with us? I go, sure. And lo and behold, I did well. And the next day they said, you come back. And they offered me a contract. And that's how my career started. And we won a championship. I brought a team up that year uh, to bring it from the third league to the second division. Yeah. So you started in third division. Yeah. Moved to second division. Then, you had to play one year in order to get your passport. Right. Right. That was the, you know, my, my story was that I, I didn't know that <laughs> and I wasn't informed that by my agent and uh, I flew in. I was supposed to play in a team that trained in Italy, but played in Russia and I flew in and I go to the, they take me right to the, wherever you make Ali. Right? <laughs> yes. So, and then I get to the front and she says, where'd you live? And I said, Italy. She's like, you cannot get your, you cannot make Aliyah unless you live in Israel. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, nobody told me that. You say, you must live here for one year. It's like, okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah that, 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 that threw me <laughs> off a bit. Okay. So you, you play in Haifa, you guys go from third division to second division. Did yeah. you stay there for the second year? Nope. Uh, I went to another team, Kiryat Bialik, uh, the next season, which is right there in the Haifa area. Uh, lost in the finals against Spot. So didn't make it, uh, didn't bring that team up. And then, you know, what happened was I, which, you know, the second year, third year, my buddy, Nassau Stevenson, now back in Greece, you know, got his own company and he used to bring me into Greece and give me a free apartment in Mykonos for a month or whatever. And I'd be, you know, 23, 24 saying, okay, well, what about Wall Street? What about, you know, my career? And I thought about it. I was like, what job could I have where I could live on a Greek island for a month? So I loved to play basketball one more year. And I just started getting a little better. You know, I was a very, my biggest assets were my my heart and my brain, right? Talent-wise, I was all heart and brain, you know? I And I was, call it, you know, I don't know if you know Nadav Hennefield from Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So I was a poor man's version of Hennefield, right? I did all the dirty work on a court and I just... I wanted, I always worked so hard because I never wanted anyone to know that I didn't belong. Right. When I first went there, they're like, Hey, we can't find you on the internet. We can't find you. I was like, Oh, you're spelling my name wrong. You know, something's wrong. So I was just kind of like there. Uh, you know, I played for one coach, Moshe Weinkrest, for three years in the first division. One night we're having dinner and a bunch of people asked me, and mind you, I've been in Israel for eight years now. So I'm pretty comfortable with what I've done. And I've gotten every job next, the next year with what I did the previous year. So someone asked me that question, like, uh, where'd you go to school? I go, oh, I went to Florida, but I didn't play basketball. <laughs> the guy drops his fork and the coach looks at me and goes, I would have never taken you if I knew that. <laughs> so it's a good thing you didn't know. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, uh, why'd you walk away? Uh, I came, so I played, I had a lot of fun. I kept on going first division, you know, very successful teams and really just had a great career. And I was ready for a change. Like, so now you get pigeonholed when you go to a country and you get typecast. Hey, he's the blue collar guy. His guy dies on, dies on the floor and fights. But 
you know, my game evolved and I thought I could take it to another level. I came out to LA in 2000. I played in the NBA Summer League back when I was in Long Beach mm-hmm. uh, at the Pyramid. Uh, was playing up at the U- UCLA men's gym, g- old men's gym when they used to play. All the NBA players used to run up there. Uh, played in Real Run over in uh, Carson. If you remember the mm-hmm. uh, the old, they was like a, it was like the Rutger of the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baron Davis was on my team. Arthur Lee from Stanford. I just saw mm-hmm. Pierce at the night. I saw you at that event and. I said, you remember the real run? Because you came and dropped 50 and a half against Byron against Byron once. Uh, so I just had a lot of fun. I had some success and I was ready to, I got tryouts ready to go for uh, Montpellier in France with Hervé Dubuisson was a coach and also in the Canary Islands. And I was like, great, this is my chance to get over to Europe and get out of Israel, use my passport there. Uh, so knowing that you try out off the plane, my thought was, hey, I got a return ticket to Israel. Why don't I go back to Israel and be ready for the trip to Europe? That's going to be a short trip and I'll be a little bit fresher. Fly through New York, uh, get to Israel. I fly on the last plane uh, on 9-11 out of New York the night before. So about eight hours wow. before 9-11. I fly out of JFK at one in the morning, two in the morning. I land in Israel, uh, go to my buddy's house and, and you know, thinking I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, you know, go to Europe from there. Well, the world stopped, everything changed, uh, as you all recall. And uh, it got to the point where I needed to stay in shape. So went over to start working out with Maccabi Rishon, was a team I had played for previously and started working out, went on a you know trip and finally got to the point where there's no European opportunities, everything changed. So they, they offered me a contract uh, to, to play again there. So begrudgingly a little bit, I took it, you know, and I started the season and I'm 32 years old and I was just like, I'm done. I got everything out of basketball I needed. I'm done. Uh, thank God that the chairman, uh, it's a Perry said, listen, you can't quit. You're like a fighter. Everyone knows you in Israel. You're, you're, you know, you're a team guy. See the season through. Best advice I ever, ever gotten took. And, and I saw the season through and finished. And at 32, I was ready to walk away from the game. So how do you start your life? <laughs> uh, you know, it's a beautiful experience. I went back to Miami. I, was taking care of my dad a little bit, uh, had a knee, knee replacement surgery and saw some buddies from college uh, that I knew. And they're like, hey, uh, why don't you come work with us? They had a, uh, a shipping company. It was they, five of the six owners were fraternity brothers of mine. And they had bought a big uh, NBOCC shipping company out of Miami called Econo Carib. And, and they said, I went and learned their business in a, in a couple months. And they said, would you like to go run our office in the Caribbean for us in St. Thomas? I said, sure. So I took a shipped a car, went to St. Thomas, and uh, the best acclimation back to society was living on the Caribbean island, uh, playing a little golf, and uh, working the islands. And really, it was a great experience, you know, just getting back into the business world. Uh, did that for a year and a half, came back up to Miami, started managing about 10 islands for them. So I traveled a lot extensively through the Caribbean. And ever since, I've had a very eclectic project-based career that's just one thing's led to another, led to another. So how did you get to uh, running high times? <laughs> Fast forward, huh? It, it, it's a progression. When I left the shipping industry, I got involved in the music business. My friend, Roy Young, called me and says, hey, I'm coming to the States for the first time. I'm 55 years old. I've never been to the States, and I'm coming to do an album with Willie Mitchell. And I said, and he goes, and he goes Al Green's producer. I go, oh. So I picked up my Al Green's Greatest Hits album, looked at the back, and it's the same address that it was recorded at was the address he told me to meet him at. So fast forward, I met him three like a week later. 
third day, I put my arm around and say, Hey, bro, I'm your manager. Let's go. So I became his manager. He's had this amazing career. He has a podcast on his own. So, so wait, so how do you, how do you go from the shipping industry to knowing how to manage a recording artist career? So I tell my buddies from college, I say, Hey guys, I'm going to train a new person for you, bring them in to replace me. I said, I'm going to go do my own thing. And at 34 years old, I went to uh, Miami-Dade Community College and took two music business classes, music business one and two at the same time with a bunch of 18-year-olds. And in between weeks, I was flying to Beverly Hills and meeting with uh, Al Green's uh, booking agent, Marshall Resnick at William Morris, getting some tutelage from him too. So uh, I you know, checked the ego at the door. Took a, I, I, knew, I knew business, but I didn't know music business. But if you read uh, Passman's, you know, everything you want to know about the music business version 22 or whatever he's on now, you know, you learn a little bit and you jump in. Basketball, because of my background with basketball, I'm doing something that I wasn't supposed to do on paper enabled me to have the confidence to be able to do anything I felt, even though I wasn't supposed to be there. So to be a manager, you know, the guys who had signed him was Tommy Tom Silverman, uh, Silverman from Tommy Boy Records at Sign Roy. Uh, amazing uh, opportunity he had 25 years between recording contracts. And the first thing I did was I got him booked um, at the Air Jamaica Jazz and Blues Festival in Montego Bay and put him on stage with Earth, Wind and Fire and Michael Bolton and Kenny Rogers. And he hadn't been back to Jamaica for 40 years since he was a little kid. So then we went on to do New Orleans Jazz Fest. We did Long Beach out here. We did festivals in Rome and Italy, you know, in Florence and had a lot of fun. It was a great project. Um, okay. Then what was after that? Uh, after that was meeting a beautiful woman uh, who became my part, uh, my girlfriend and also business partner. And I ran a woman's empowerment t-shirt line for four years. What was that called? Uh, Sabrina Barnett Collection. Sabrina was a, a model, a two-time Sports Illustrated model and amazing talent and creator. And she was handwriting beautiful messages on t-shirts. And I sent her to a charity down in Bolivia and she came back, showed me some pictures and we got into business together and did a wholesale business. We hit probably 600 stores in three years with our t-shirt line. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, obviously, in that experience as well. And from there, I flew out to Park City. And after we had uh, broken up and I had given her the business back, and uh, I went out to see a buddy. I, I was doing something with a startup out there. And uh, it was a technology company that did virtual desktops back in 2012-13. And uh, Two weeks into it, I'm senior VP of uh, you know business and, and sales, and I didn't know anything about tech, didn't know anything about virtual desktops, but learned it. And uh, about 15 months later, we sold to a, a public company in uh, out of Toronto. I did that knowledge transfer for another year and a half. Uh, went back to Miami, uh, realized that project was kind of you know getting a little too corporate for me. Uh, stepped away, took a trip around the world uh, for about two months and did some traveling. Got a chance to go back to Israel. My first time back to Israel, that was 2015. And, uh, Coolest place you went to when you tri trip around the world? Uh, probably, uh, I would say, I, I went to Bangkok, Singapore, uh, Sydney, and Honolulu. So I really liked uh, uh, Thailand. Very interested to go. I didn't see enough of it, so I want to go back there. I love the Asian culture. I love travel. I mean, when when you go overseas and you're living overseas for you know 12 years like I did, you see the you see the United States in a unique way, and you see foreign you know uh, countries. When you live in them, it's much different than you're just traveling, right? There's a difference between a tourist and a traveler. So uh, I really enjoy Thailand, and now uh, hopefully we'll get back there. Uh, so I'm in Miami. I'm chasing the wrong girl. You know, I'm 
I don't know how old that was. What year was that? 2015, 16. So I'm 45, 46. And, and I said, Hey, I didn't think I was going to do this again, but another one-way ticket. So one-way ticket to LA, no job, shipped the car, came here and wasn't sure what I was going to get into. I just decided I needed a change and Miami's always been home and came out here. Uh, I got involved, uh, in, in a movie in a movie production project that I thought I was going to come in and help lead. And it turned out to be a, not a great experience, but it was a good learning experience. But through that, what movie? Made, uh, huh? What movie? What, what movie? No, it was a production company. Uh, oh. it turned out the guy who owned that was going to be a COO of a production company. Uh, they had run, won a pretty big judgment and they had quite a bit of money and they were ready to go. It just turned out the guy was not stable that was running it like a lot of movie companies. But through that, I met a young kid uh, named Jeff Gitman out of Aruba, and uh, he helped. He asked me to help him write a business plan for a uh, what we call an ancillary business in the cannabis industry, which was we call it the uh, picks and shuffles. So they don't touch the plant, but they provide a lot of the services and products that are for growing. So I wrote a business plan for a company called Downtown Hydro Elevated Equipment Supply, and that was my first touch of, uh, into the cannabis industry. That was back in 2016 and uh, or 17, I think. And I went and did, uh, was involved in looking for a couple of different startups here, involved in some things. And uh, a couple of years later, I run into the same kid, Jeff. I hadn't really been in touch with him too much. And he was the founder of the first licensed lender in cannabis in California, a company called Bespoke Financial. We were sharing, I had an office for another business uh, in the design center in West Hollywood. And he, and he kept on asking me for advice, always calls me a big brother. And, uh, and he said, hey, why don't you come help me build this out? And at that time, it was, you know, 2000, this, probably the beginning of 2019. And I said, you know, the cannabis industry is pretty interesting. I don't belong there either, but you know, let's go and check it out. So I helped build that out over the summer of 19 and they're beginning customers and really enjoyed it and got involved in a lot of consulting side of things at the end of 19, uh, different uh, dispensaries downtown, really putting in accounting and banking relationships. And uh, our beta customer at the time uh, at, at uh, Bespoke was a company called Grupo Floor. And my friend Paul was the CEO and he stepped away and was ready to go, you know, kind of get out of cannabis a little bit here in California, moved back to Salt Lake. And he got a call from a couple um, guys out of Toronto that said, we really need you to speak to High Times because they're planning to go into touching the plant. And this is the end of 2019. So he stepped so, in. So for people who aren't familiar yeah. with touching the plant, as opposed to what High Times, so High Times was originally just a publication, right? High Times is known, established in 1974, 48-year-old company, and had been known about the publication, the magazine, our history. Uh, back in 88 was the first Cannabis Cup live event in Amsterdam, where they started to uh, you know, give the awards for the best strains and the best cannabis around the world at the time. The uh, Cannabis Cups came into the US in the 90s and 2000s and continued to be just a media and live event company. About four and a half years ago, our current chairman, Adam Levin, bought the asset and with a group of people and was planning to roll up all of the uh, assets uh, in, in the media side of things, uh, Culture Magazine, Dope Magazine, 420.com, and really take it to be listed on NASDAQ. So at the time, no, and today, to this day, no cannabis companies can be listed on either NASDAQ or, or the New York Stock Exchange. Why not? Uh, those are choices they've made. It, I, it's not a federal thing, but the chairman of NASDAQ, after nine months of giving the okay to High Times at the time, was, uh, we feel you violate the Substance Control Act at your Cannabis Cup events because the events that you host, there's consumption, so we cannot list you. At that point, you know, Adam, uh, you know, said, you know, well, we've always connected brand with customers, we've always been an advocate for the industry, so why not, you know, we're, we're the oldest brand in cannabis, why not go ahead and 
touch the plant, which means you're selling, you have a, a retail footprint, meaning you're selling uh, cannabis at your dispensaries or your branded product and you're selling products. So now, isn't that a little church and state, right? When you, when High Times traditionally had given out the awards and had been kind of the overarching, mm-hmm. you know, historically publication of the industry, and now you're branding your own product. Isn't that a is there, is there a no, we're, we're, we're still very much Switzerland. You know, we don't we don't enter any of our cannabis club events or anything like that. I just think the the footprint for us, we we run seven dispensaries here in California. Uh, we're about to open uh, the asset, which was the first consumption lounge in America, which was open in West Hollywood pre-COVID and ended up closing because of COVID. So uh, I'm in the middle of building out that project right now and will be High Times Cannabis Cafe in West Hollywood come Q4 of this year. Uh, and it's a lot of fun, you know, we've been having a lot of fun in this industry. It, it's, it's an exciting time to be part of something. And obviously with such a brand like high times to, to be able to step in and I stepped in as the, I'd been consulting for two years and stepped in as the CEO in January. Fascinating. Right. Plus you have so many, you have so many ex athletes who are trying who are either part of, or trying to get into the cannabis industry, which is really, that has to be, there's gotta be a, a fascinating element to, uh, people who have done well in some other profession that know this is an incredible growing business, right? And um, and they they want to get in. And I'm sure every place you go, when they find out what you do, they're like, dude, I want to meet with you. I want to get in on what you're doing. You know, it, it, yeah, it's an, it's an intersect because it's always been part of our culture, right? And as far back as I can go back and playing basketball, you know, cannabis was always there, you know, and, and certainly uh, now seeing some of the, the medicinal benefit, the thing that fascinates me with cannabis uh, is really the medicinal benefits of the plant. You know, we have a cannabinoid receptor system in our body to receive the, the good benefits of not only cannabis, but lots of plant-based medicine, right? So the fact that this is, it, you know, it's been legal since 96 in California. Nobody talked about it. It's been medicinal here. No one talked about it until it went recreational. And in 2018, probably other than crypto and Bitcoin is the most talked about industry in the last five years. And I find it very fascinating that I think that the rec market is going to bring about the medicinal benefits and, and the studies and, and things and will bring back the awareness of preventive medical you know, uh, practices with how it's able to, uh, to help people. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. 
someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When I was, my dad was, uh, seven years ago, my dad died. And it was about this time when uh, his cancer had spread to his brain. But I remember sitting with him at his, uh, at his kitchen table with my mom. And my mom's like, he won't even take Advil or ibuprofen. He just, and I was like, why don't you just smoke weed? Like, it's legal. He, at the time, you know, you get a medical card or whatever. Sure, like, sure. He's like, reefer? You know, if there's, it, it's, it's really amazing how, uh, how we have been trained um, as Americans over, you know, what's good, what's bad, and like trying to get over the taboo of it um, yeah. is, is a, an incredibly difficult task. It really, really is. And, you, and, and I, now there's no side to it. Like, you don't want kids doing it, right? There's a, there's a level, there's a level to it. Um, obviously you don't want to drive when you're doing it, but there, there are a lot of benefits and, but it's just interesting. The drugs that are legal, the drugs are illegal. The things that we're told are bad. Things we're told is good, right? Like if you ask somebody like, Hey, you want a cool beer? Like, great. All right. Now you want to, you want, you want a joint like, Whoa, ha- you know, half of America is like, Whoa, just like my dad was, you're talking about reefer, you know, Hey dude, you have cancer. This will help alleviate so did, any did of your pain. It? Huh? Did you try it? No. Yeah. I had the same thing. My dad passed in 2008 and same thing, very white coat medicine based and very, you know, traditional. And, you know, I think I saw an article yesterday. It talked about, you know, I think it was like 1909, you know, should cannabis be legal, you know, less than 10%, you know, something in the, you know, 60s or something, 30%, you know, well, now it's up over 68% on a poll, I was saying. So I think it's just something that's progressing and, uh, like I said, it's a, it's an industry that's getting a lot of attention. It, it's a it's not an easy industry. There's a lot of uh, taxation. There's a lot of barriers to entry. You know, there's a lot of reliance on what we call the traditional market to get into the licensed market. So, uh, it, you know, I look over my shoulder and all my individual. I call it. I have had a very blessed project based career, right, where I've been able to take the skill sets of the previous 
uh, opportunity and bring it into the next one. And now that I'm 52 and I kind of just bring it all in and, and kind of use the same skill sets that I've learned. It's, re- it's really remarkable. I mean, you're talking about London, Tel Aviv, Mykonos. You come back to Miami. Then you're in at St. Thomas managing 10 different islands, right? Now you're in LA and you're the COO of High Times. Like you have lived kind of a blessed life, but that blessed life is based upon your ability to assimilate uh, to whatever field you're working in, right? Obviously, your ability to create relationships where you can kind of connect the dots. That's it's a it's a, a fast and you have, you know. As much as you want, 20 more years, 25 more years to work. Well, also, I'm sitting in my weekend uh, gig is uh, I own a NFT art gallery with Jeff Hamilton. So you might know Jeff, uh, the well-known jacket designer. So some of this art pieces that you see, Doug, they are behind me are his, his art pieces. So now well, well, the NFT thing with well, the NFT thing, I've, I've had it explained to me 20 times by my buddy. And I just I understand one of one digital artwork. Mm-hmm. My my issue with buying real estate in the metaverse is like, can't they just create more space? Can't things just be created more? Because uh, essentially, it's an unlimited, like, unlimited supply at some point, isn't there? Yeah, I, 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 for me, it's more you know, stay curious, add value, right? So I stay curious, and I, I don't, I'm not an expert in NFTs or crypto or anything like that. But it's always, it's always nice to learn new things and try to figure it out. And uh, I think you know. I think it's there. I think it's going to be here for a little while. Uh, you know, you, we're in what they call a crypto winter right now, but maybe we'll be coming out of that. So it's just interesting to see how the intersection between art and uh, and fashion and sports and everything kind of comes in, in the middle. And, you know, you have a, what they call physical, you know, a digital asset that comes along with a physical good or, you know, or you have entry or assets. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, and, uh, even for for high times, as we're you know we're eagerly looking at what the NFT or Metaverse Web three strategy will be for us as a forty eight year old brand. What is what is next for high times? What's the what's the next big step? Uh, the next big step is we will I would say uh, we're getting this consumption launch open, but we will be going public. So we're a private company today, uh, and we're finishing up some audits and uh, we're looking forward to you know going on the public markets and continuing to expand. We're, we're very unique where we're able to, you know, cross our, our different platforms or different verticals where we, you know, we went to the licensing show. We were the only cannabis company at the licensing show in Las Vegas with, you know, Walt Disney and Sony and everybody, all these big booths and, you know, the ability to license our name, uh, to be able to create other revenue streams that are beyond just selling cannabis, you know, so. I think you're the only brand, but, but I mean, like, and again, I, I'm not, I'm not Mr. Cannabis industry. So forgive me right. if I'm missing somebody who's a competitor. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know enough about the space, but I would just tell you that when we met and you said, hi, time, oh, I, I know what that is, yeah. right? The subconscious recognition, recognition. It, that we it, all but have. it's, it's like, you're the, you're the Kleenex, right? You're yeah. the Q-tip, right? You're, you're, you're high times that has an incredible value. Just how do you decide what that actual value is? Do you, do you believe, What's the likelihood? Let me try to ask the right question. What's the likelihood that High Times ends up on an NBA uniform at some point? I don't see why not. You know, you see, uh, I think that there's a possibility. I'm already in discussions, you know, about, you know, like with this consumption lounge model, being able to talk to stadiums. And I've talked to people that are very connected to stadium owners and 
Uh, and will there be a consumption lounge in a stadium? You know, uh, NFL owners. I mean, like, uh, look, you, you put all you put all the vices all together. I, I believe this. Okay, this is my true belief: is that the challenge for the NFL, for example, and they know this, and that's why they put these betting lounge. They have betting lounges that are going to be as it becomes legal in the stadiums. The challenge can be to get people to go to the games because the viewing experience at home <laughs> is amazing, right? Like, why would you yeah. go to the game? Traffic, parking, people suck, right? The tickets, the whole thing. When you just sit at home and watch multiple games. So the challenge is to get them in the stadium. So I've thought for baseball, for example, you give people an iPad in a specific and they can bet on every next pitch or whatever, live oh. in-game betting, right? Yeah. And like, why wouldn't you in a lounge where, hey, like if you can bet and it's legal, why can't you smoke if it's legal? Here's another one. When are we going to have airport consumption lounge? We have... Tobacco lounges, right? You go in there, yeah. and it's one of the saddest places on earth. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like that is a factory of sadness. Is <laughs> you're sitting there grilling your cigarette, and everybody in there looks 15 years older than they are, and they're just, I, I gotta have my, I gotta smoke my cig before I take yeah, off. I'm old enough to remember when they smoked on airplanes. So. <laughs> Me too. I play. I played in Russia. When I played in Russia, everybody smoking on the plane. I was like, this does not feel safe, right? Oxygenated cabin. Or, or, or thirty thousand game, right? When you yeah, know, oh, the, the Greek players. Oh, the whole, the whole upper layer couldn't see the top of the scoreboard. Yeah. Uh, upper layer. Uh, are are we are are we close? You know, like are we anywhere in the next half decade? In I don't know. Ads during NFL games, sponsorships. Like how how far do you believe we yeah, are? Yeah, you're starting that? to see it. Like, for example, I've seen, you know, there's been some big collaboration on sponsorships where some some mainstream brands are starting to come in. So yeah, of course it's gonna happen. And it's it's an industry that's that's you know really growing. And you know, we're at I don't know, 38 plus states now, be either either medical or recreational, and it's just continuing to grow. And uh it's it's all about education and awareness. I think exactly what you said, it's it's rewiring. Our, our learned experience, right? It's hard to do. What is the advice to somebody in their twenties trying to figure out what they want to do, how they want to make money? You, you've done it in so many different ways. What's the advice? Uh, you know, I, I think I, I give the advice to my twenty-two, my twenty-year-old nephew, right? So I have someone in my life that's my sister's son, and same exact thing. You know, the most important thing is is a really fine to try things. Don't, don't be scared of failure, right? You know, try things and you might not like it and, and not put money as the, the money ends up becoming the uh, byproduct of, you know, where the intersection between, you know, luck and hard work meet, right? So money's not the object. It's really like find something you really enjoy doing, add value, stay curious, have a good attitude. You know, I always say you're, you know, I, I learned from a, the late Harold Rosen was a mayor of Miami Beach, and it was like, you know, your attitude creates your altitude. You know, the reality is really you have a good attitude and, and you'll get places. So and be filled with gratitude. You know, it's it's a very interesting time we're living in right now. And as long as you're able to find, you know, what really moves you and what you're excited about and, and just keep trying things. How do you foster conversations with people? Uh, who know about industry, you're trying to learn about something and you've talked about calling people and, and, and just being a sponge and learning. How do you create those conversations with people who know way more about an industry and you're just trying to sponge their knowledge? I think, you know, you'd be surprised you, if, you, if you're not afraid to ask for help and, or ask, you know, hey, can I, be, can I shout at you one day? Can I sit on some phone calls? You'd be surprised. Most people 
look back in their history and say, hey, uh, I remember when Earl Williams helped me or I remember when Daryl Reshaw helped me. And I, I'm not I'm not in a position where I can thank Daryl today, but I can thank the next person. Like even when I got groomed and I started as a basketball player, started becoming a, a, a vet. Right. And I was a vet. You know, my responsibility was to, was to you know help somebody. I had that uh, uh, recently. Well, my banker for in the cannabis industry um, put something. I invited him to a HD 100. We had a big event and it was on LinkedIn. And one of his friends reached out to me and said, hey, do you remember me? Is it really you? You let me stay on your couch for two weeks in Israel while I was trying out and let's have lunch, you know? And I'm like, oh, I did. Was I go, was that nice to you? And he goes, yeah, he was great. And I go, I go, that's awesome because that that's the key, you know? So you'd be surprised. Most people that are in a position where they're at, they remember the people that got them there and they're always looking to pay it forward. Like, I, I, I completely agree. Um, okay. You had an amazing basketball career, really, when you stop and think about it. Right to go from not playing in college to playing first division in in, in Israel. Um, if you were to if you were to close your eyes and say this was my greatest moment as a professional basketball player, what would it be? I think yeah, I think a couple of those championships in Israel, bringing a second division team to the first division. You know, Jesse Salters, I won with the Paul Haifa. You know. Uh, summer league here, I came, I remember one day I dropped 18. I was playing for the NBA free agent division. I played against the national team of the Ukraine. And I remember Volkov who played for Atlanta. I, I, I uh, played against, I was with the Lakers that year. We played against them and then, and then my dad had a team in, in the same thing. We played against them as well. So I know the exact team you're talking about. So I, I scored 18 in that game. And, I, and again, that was the whole point of me. Like, Hey, I was never known as a scorer, scorer, but you know, okay. I'm, I'm 18 on them. Did really well. Made the, made like the all-star team of the free agent division. And in the same day I drove to Carson and got, you know, played in the, in the real run and, and scored 18 playing with Baron Davis. I think it was against, maybe it was Paul Pierce at that game or Bo Outler or something like that. So, you know, for me, you know, it was always about working really hard. I never wanted, even when I play in the summer, you know, with all the pros up in the men's league, I didn't want anyone to say, hey, there goes the baseball player that doesn't belong on the court, right? So, yeah, lots of good memories in between, but those those definitely stand out. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. This has been great, man. Let's. Uh, I want to get together and, and have coffee uh, in, in person, but um, I'm fascinated by interesting, successful people, and your journey is incredibly unique, and I know not not even close to being over. Well, I, yeah, I really appreciate that, Doug. You know, it's funny when you ask me, I, my normal in, initial reaction is always no, no, because I'm always the guy behind the curtain. I'm always the guy who kind of is like behind the scenes in, in my career. And, and it was nice. I really appreciate your time. It's, it's a trip down memory lane. And, you know, just to give you some knowledge, I still see Earl Williams. He's 71 years old. I go every year to the summer league in the NBA summer league in Vegas for the last seven years I've been here. Uh, to go see him and pay homage and thank him and the guys like Mike Carter and Kenny Lebanowski and Dan Smith, guys that were all super vets when I was a, a rookie, you know, and, and then took me under their wing. And I wouldn't have had a career without Earl or, you know, so uh, I really appreciate it. And thanks for giving me this chance to to speak to you and your, uh, your no, uh, basketball is a dysfunctional, but definitely a family. It's a dysfunctional family, but it's a, it's a family. And, and the, and the Jesse Salters is the perfect example, right? Like, your career was ending when I was playing in Israel. You have that kind of connection and like all the Venn diagram, you know, all of a sudden you start throwing in more and more names and that's yeah, Corey Gaines. I played with a couple of years. Corey Gaines, there, so I grew know. up watching at UCLA yeah. and then at Loyola yeah. Marymount, right? Then became yeah. a legend down in the lot. 
Um, yeah, I played with him in a lot. Yeah, yeah, he was with me there. Yeah, That's yeah, it was fun. You know, you you have all this in this camaraderie, you know, and everyone and and you know, Earl taught me early on the reason why I was here. It doesn't matter where you came from. If you're on the same court, they put their shoes on one at a time. Totally. And you're on the court, throw it up. You know, so you can hope. You can hope. Hey, man, yeah. thank you so much for for joining me. I really, really appreciate. It. Thanks, Tyler. Forward to seeing you. All right, my, my thanks to uh to to Chris and he was amazing. He was so kind with his time and with the story. And as he said, like I'm usually more of a behind the scenes guy, even in his music days. So it's pretty outstanding to get him to open up to us. Remember the Doug, Doug Gottlieb shows uh, available daily, three to six Eastern, twelve to three Pacific on your iHeartRadio app, FoxSportsRadio.com or your uh, Fox Sports Radio affiliate. Thanks so much for listening. Tell a friend. Like this is we got good stuff for you. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is all ball. We don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.